Well, hey, whether we like it or not, summer is uh, winding down on us. I don't know if you feel that yet or not. If you've got school-age kids, you feel it. August 2nd is coming near. I want to take a few minutes. Um, we're going to finish up our carbon copy series today. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 4. So grab your Bibles, grab your phone, and find 1 Timothy chapter 4. We'll have it on the screen if you don't have one of those. And while you find that, I want to take just a minute to, to celebrate a couple of um, just fun things that are going on in the life of the church. So um, you saw from Community Kids what they've been doing this morning. And then uh, we've got a picture here of uh, this, is, this is the new stage over at CCC Midland. And uh, they spent the day yesterday painting and uh, continuing to get ready there. There'll be a couple more work days if you want to, to go over there and help them. Um, but uh, it's exciting to see that starting to come together. This is a picture of the students last Wednesday night uh, taking over Culver's in Simpsonville. Um, pray for the people in Simpsonville. So, um, yeah, it was just an awesome time, scavenger hunt. And um, one more thing that they've got coming up. Um, this Wednesday was going to be uh, what they call Sloppy Olympics. They're moving that to a back-to-school event. So uh, if you've got students, six, grades 6 to 12, Sunday, July 30th at, uh, at the Gaither's house, uh, they're going to have Sloppy Olympics. You're not going to want to miss that, all right? Uh, it's going to be good. Sailor uh, and Jeff and others have been doing, and TJ have been doing a great job investing in our students. Um, also this week, this is just this week, um, Tuesday, this is our, our team of people from CCC that worked with Refuge Ministries in Louisville welcoming a refugee family from Ethiopia. Um, just an incredible moment there. And... Um, They've been in refugee camps, I, I think, for eight years, if, I, if I'm getting that correct. And, uh, and so they came to America on Tuesday, and I think somebody from the team has been with them every day since. Uh, it's estimated that in the first three months, people from Christ Community will spend about 250 hours with them, um, just helping them with the simple things of life. So that's just an incredible, um, incredible picture. And if I, like, I could like preach for the whole rest of the time on the stories that have happened in the first week with this team. So just a really cool thing right there. And then uh, last but not least, this is a picture of one of the people from Indonesia that we've already met in Reaching Our Unreached. The Thurmans talked a little bit about that last week, and we want to celebrate the fact that um, over $2,200 have already been given towards our goal of continuing to plant churches in Indonesia. So yeah, it's awesome. It's good stuff. Um, so it's been a big week at Christ Community. It's been a big week at Christ Community, and we're grateful that, that God continues to, to work in that. Um, if you're new to Christ Community, uh, here's the thing. We want to figure out how we join Jesus. Jesus is moving all over this place, in our lives, in the community, in the world. How do we go outside? How do we join him in the mess out there? And as we do that, what we're finding is that he, he changes us. He changes us from the inside out. So that's our heart, and um, as we think about that heart, we're going to finish up this series of, of Carbon Copy with 1 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, read along with me, if you will. It says, Now the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. They forbid marriage and they demand abstinence from foods that God created to be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, since it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. 
So Paul says to Timothy, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished by the words of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed, but have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. For the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And so this saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. And for this reason, we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So command and teach these things. Don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, give your attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. Don't neglect the gift that's in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Practice these things. Be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. God, we pray you'd speak to us through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Caitlin, uh, my wife, posted a picture on Facebook this week. I guess it popped up in like that time hop thing or whatever. But it was a picture of she and I when we had first met, and it was like our first date. And it was 10 years ago. 10 years ago. And um, for me, that brought back a lot of memories. And one of the memories that it brought back was, that's really kind of 10 years that I've known of Shelbyville. Uh, I, I had never heard of this place until I met a girl from here. And um, I, we met, and, and one of the first things that we did was we had a, a campfire at their house with a bunch of her friends. And um, if you had a campfire, you roast marshmallows. Am I right? I mean, if you got a campfire, you roast marshmallows. You just figure it out. I love roasting marshmallows. Um, now, if that's what you do, and you've roasted a marshmallow, then you know that anytime you get the marshmallows out and you roast them, somebody's catching one on fire, right? Somebody's catching one on fire, and then it's just like this lucky game, and you're hoping that as they fling it out of the fire and try to blow it out that nobody gets hurt in the process. Um, but we also, we, we just, we pray for the people who like their marshmallows burnt, okay? If that's you today, we're praying for you. We, no, we, we just pray for you, right? Because everyone should know that the best way to eat a marshmallow roasted is perfectly golden brown. It's perfectly golden brown. Amen? All right, we got a few amens in the house. All right, so um, here's the thing. There's a really fine line between uh, that perfect golden brown roasted marshmallow and the torched marshmallow. Like you can hold it too close to the embers and all of a sudden it'll just explode in the flames sometimes, right? Like there's a really fine line between being in that, that sweet spot of who you are and being burnt out, right? And that's what we want to talk about today is, is this idea that as we press into who God made us to be, as we press into making disciples, as we think about investing in others, we have to get in that sweet spot. We, have to, we want to, to get to that point where we're, we're close to the, to the flame. But it's really easy to burn out when we get there, right? It's really easy to burn out when we get there. I've yet to meet someone who hasn't been burnt by someone else. Sadly, and for that matter, I, I've, I've met very few people who haven't been burnt by someone in the church, right? We, people, people burn us all the time, and, and 
so you're, you're getting burnt, and, and then sometimes we're just living in burnout. And I think for most people, we, we either live in burnout or we live as if we're exempt from burnout, which is just as unhealthy. We think that we can avoid it at all costs. And, and so we think about this idea of roasting marshmallows, and we think about who we are as people, and, and we, we, want to, we want to give a lot. We want to give back. We want to serve. We want to be in our sweet spot with the Lord. But we don't want to burn out. We don't want to burn out. This summer we've pressed into the idea of discipleship, right? Of making carbon copies, as you heard Jeff talk about. The, the practice of having someone invest in us spiritually and then in turn investing in someone else. But here's the reality. When we get into closer relationships with people, it's real easy to get burnt, right? It's like that fine line with the marshmallow. You want to love them, you want to invest in them. But then as you get closer to them, you see the ugly parts of them, and, and it's real easy to catch on fire and just get angry, to be done, to be burnt out. Maybe you don't meet each other's expectations. Maybe you feel like you, you've been investing in this person, but they don't ever respond, or they don't ever do what you want them to do, and so you just get frustrated with them. Maybe there's a little too much truth that's spoken. Sometimes we get into relationships with people and we project our past on them or we project our opinions of them on them, right? And in all those situations, the relationships, they, they kind of go up in flames and we end up burnt or we end up burnt out. A wise mentor of mine once said, hurting people hurt people. And it's true. When it gets hard is when we realize that maybe we're one of those hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. Paul reminds Timothy of this at the beginning of the chapter, right? He says, now the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith. Here's how far, far Paul is taking. He's like, listen, some people are going to get so burnt out on this. that They're going to be so frustrated. They're, they're going to think that they've got all this figured out. And they're going to walk away from their faith. They're going to walk away from the church. Paying attention to deceitful spirits and the, the teachings of demons through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. They're seared. And we have to ask ourselves the question, is our conscience seared? As I think about the people that we journey with, as we think about the people that we love and are in relationship, or maybe we've been in a community group with them, are our consciences seared towards them? It's something that we have to remind ourselves of again and again. And Paul reminds Timothy again, even in his second letter, about just... Man, the, the ugly side of people. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 2, says, For people will be, like, you don't have to guess, they're going to be this, lovers of self, lovers of money. They're going to be boastful and proud and demeaning, disobedient to parents. They're going to be ungrateful and unholy and unloving. They're going to be irreconcilable. They're going to be slanders. They're going to be without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. I want you to think about that phrase. Holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. Knowing how to be a good person but not really trusting in the God who gives it. You know what Paul says? Avoid these people. Wait, that doesn't, what? what? Verse 6, for among them are those who worm their way into households and deceive gullible women, overwhelmed by sins and led astray by a variety of passions. Side note, 
It's not just women. This is just context, okay? It can happen to any of us. Always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. So as we jump into the rest of this passage and as we think about making disciples, what are the fires that are searing our hearts? Who has burnt us? What is burning us out? See, we have to know those things about ourselves so that we don't hurt other people out of those things. We began pouring into someone only to feel like they're taking advantage of us or, or sucking the life out of us, and it seared our heart towards ministry or towards that person. We enjoy our kids, but, man, their schedules, their attitudes, they, they burn us out. We've been hurt by something that someone close to us has said or done, and our consciences are seared, and they keep us from moving forward in our faith. And so the question becomes, right, th- those things are going to happen. There's no condemnation for those things because, like, they're going to happen. But the question becomes, what do we believe about God that's going to keep us from departing our faith, as we see in verse 1? What is it that we believe about God that will keep us in the face of that from departing our faith? Do we trust our emotions and what we feel, or, or do we trust in the God who gives us hope? Hope. See, we skip down. Paul writes to Timothy, verse 10. He says, For this reason we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Why do we have hope? Why do we have hope? It's because God created all things good. In verse 4 it says, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. And, and you, don't miss this, the, the you as a human are the pinnacle of God's creation. You are his most prized creation. And God loves you. He is proud of you. And, and he wants the best for you. He wants the best for you. There's a powerful image that uh, you may have seen on social media that displays God's goodness to us and, and, and kind of helps us to understand this, this paradigm shift that we have to go under. And in the image, uh, you see it here. This little girl's holding a teddy bear, right? And she doesn't want to let go of that because it's what she sees, it's what she knows. And, and Jesus is simply asking this little girl to trust her, to trust her. You see, what is happening in this picture is a lack of hope and trust in Christ. We all have all kinds of things in life that we love and that we cherish and that we value. But as we journey with Christ, he doesn't expect us to stay in the same thing. He has, he has better things for us in the future, but so often we are too unwilling to let go of those things to realize the hope that we have in him. We distort our own reality, and we can only see the present when God has created so much more for us. God wants to overwhelm us with hope through the goodness of his creation, but, but how does he do that? How does that happen? Well, he goes on, verse 4 and then verse 5. He says, everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving, since it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. You see, coming into contact with the goodness of God, being reminded of the hope that we have in Christ, is best done by setting apart time with the word of God. And anytime you get to this point in the sermon, right, where you, where you talk about interacting with the Bible, with God's word, with praying, um, all kinds of thoughts and all kinds of excuses and all kinds of things begin to churn inside of us. 
Uh, and maybe you're thinking things like, I just don't understand God's Word. I don't know how to read it. I don't know where to start. It doesn't do anything for me. And those things are okay, and they're exactly why we have a whole series about investing in people. Because too often we're trying to do these things alone. How would that change if you read the Bible with someone? And then there's this, that our ability to understand God's Word is directly tied to our hope in God's Word. You know, a lot of times we go to God's Word looking for hope without not really having hope in Him. And we have to stop and realize that as believers, the Holy Spirit of God is living in us to help us understand God's Word. And the more that we trust Him, the more that He's going to teach us and the more that we will understand. So what's going to tell us that that hope is alive? Look at verse 6. It says, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished by the words of faith and the good teaching that you have followed. You see, Jesus has always nourished you before he's let you become nothing. You're here today, right? He's always nourished you before he's let you become nothing. You may have low moments, you may have ups and downs in your walk with him, but he has he's always nourished you before you get to that point. So where's your trust? What do you put your hope in today? Do you put your hope in yourself? Do you put your hope in what you think to be true about yourself? Or do you put your trust in Jesus? You see, if you will put your trust in Jesus, it completely changes this entire conversation about being burnt and about burnout. Because when you trust in Jesus, you know that he's going to get you through. And so the question changes. The, the question becomes, what if you and I join Jesus in nourishing rather than burning away to nothing? What if you and I became someone who put out the fires that exist in this world instead of living in them? What if we became burnout firefighters? What if we became burnout firefighters? Instead of being the people that, that as we ask how your week has gone or how your day is, that you, it's always tired, busy, worn out, we became those who were helping Jesus and putting out those fires. Uh, a couple months ago, um, my family and I, on a Love Shelbyville Day, which is next week, which you should come, and if you don't know what that is, we meet here at 10 and we go serve. We do lots of cool stuff in the community, and we take the gospel of Jesus with us. A couple months ago, we were doing that, and we took food to uh, several of the firehouses across the community. And um, it was really interesting, as we went to multiple ones, you started to see some patterns in, in what was going on there. And there's, there's firefighters in the house, thank you guys for what you do they can probably speak into this even more but there were there were three things that I began to notice at every place um, and one was that when we would get there somebody in the firehouse was doing training like somebody was on a tablet watching a video like somebody was always training doing something they were learning about how to become a firefighter a better firefighter uh, every place somebody was doing that something else that I noticed was that whenever we showed up there were several of them that were excited to go and, and model and show and be an example of how you be a firefighter to all of us who came in. They'd jump up and they'd show us, you know, how they put their gear on or they'd show us a truck or, or you know, how they received calls or whatever it was. But they wanted to, to model what it was that they did for those who came in. And then uh, it was really interesting. We were at the, the paramedic um, unit and they got a call while we were there. And... 
it was incredible to see them jump into action, to use all this training, to use all these, these passions and gifts that they had. They just jumped into action and immediately made use of, of their gifts. So what do we learn about that or from that about being a burnout firefighter? I think there's three things in this passage that we're going to go through quickly that I think we can take away and kind of put in our backpack so that we can be people that instead of walking around burnout, toasted, and flinging around and, and potentially hurting people, that we can be a firefighter uh, against burnout in our community. Number one is this, train yourself in godliness. 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, but have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths, but rather train yourself in godliness. You know where this starts? It starts with creating space for your workout. Creating space for your workout. 1 Timothy 4, 8 says, for the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. If any of you have ever tried to make working out a part of your routine or part of your schedule, you know that it doesn't just happen by accident. If you're like me, it doesn't even happen if you try to do it out of your own self-discipline. Like, it takes somebody calling me if I'm even going to get close to a gym. So what would make us think that we could train ourselves in godliness on our own? What would make us think that when we're battling Satan himself to become more like Christ, that we would be able to figure out how to do this Christian life by ourselves? If I'm going to get more physically fit, I have to cut out space. I have to prioritize. I have to make a commitment probably to somebody else in doing that so that I can find space to work out. You have to create space for spiritual workouts. And you're probably going to have to ask somebody to help you with that. Because here's the little lie that Satan is, is sneaking in there. He's already triggering in your mind, you're too busy. You don't have time for that. When in the world are you going to get space to do that? And when Satan convinces you that you don't have space for spiritual workouts, the space that is left is going to get filled with sin. It's going to get filled with sin. You're going to find a way to escape. You're going to find a way to avoid. You're going to find a way to, to do something else because when you don't create that space, you're, you're naturally going to feel guilty and you're going to fill that space with sin. And that's why training yourself in godliness is, is so important. But what is godliness anyway? What, what does that even mean? Last week, Dave talked about the mystery of God, the mystery of the gospel. And, and godliness is all about bringing that mystery into your everyday life. It's realizing that God is a good father, that he's everywhere with us, that, that he really is present in our lives. And, and beginning to have conversations with him about the everyday things. What would God say about my house while I'm cleaning my house? God, what would you say about my work and how I work? God, what would you say about my parenting? What would you say about my living, uh, how, how I live, or, or what I do? It's bringing the mystery of godly, God into your everyday life. I know the question that, as I studied this passage and, and asked that question of God for me, the question that I wrestled with is, is what I'm saying to people, God, is what I'm saying to people about people godly? It's what I'm saying to people about people godly. You've got you to gotta train. Train for godliness. That's the first thing. The second thing, just like those firefighters, uh, you've got to be an example. You've got to be an example. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Don't let anyone despise your youth, 
but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Now here's the really interesting thing. Paul is telling Timothy to be an example, but it's pretty clear from the entire letter of 1 Timothy and from the fact that, that Timothy is this really young guy, as he says here, that Timothy didn't have all the answers. Timothy didn't have all the answers. You know, I think if Paul were here and he were preaching this part of the sermon to us, I think the way that he might say it in our context is, is listen, when you think about being a Christian, you don't have to be a Christian version of Google. You don't have to have all the answers. You just have to be godly. You just have to be an example of these things, that you're pursuing good speech and, and Christ-like conduct and, and Christ-like love and faith and purity. There's a YouTube tutorial for everything. Everything. I thought I'd maybe search one out this week that was like fun and cheesy, and I was like scared. <laughs> you can learn to do a lot of things on YouTube. But what was reassuring about that was that when I thought about the things that overwhelmed me in this Christian journey, in my Christian walk, I realized that there was somebody who has faced that as well. There was a tutorial on that, and it existed in the life of other believers. And that's why we must continue to, to disciple one another, to meet together, uh, to invest in one another. And then as a result, to slowly become the example on these things for those who are watching us. We need to be the YouTube tutorial on speech. What if there was a video on when to speak and when to listen in your life? What if there's a tutorial on how to carry yourself as a Christian in a lost world? How to trust God when it seems better not to? Anybody be able to do that tutorial? We must be an example because people are always watching us as believers in Christ. So here's the thing. Most of us stop here. In our Christian journeys, most of us stop here. We, we train ourselves, we learn a little bit, we try to live a, a good life, we try to, to be an example morally, and then we just stop. And we never engage our gifts. We become consumers of everything else. But the third part is, is that we mustn't neglect our gift. 1 Timothy 4.14 says, Don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the counsel of elders. Confession. We, the pastor elders, starting with me, are not affirming gifts well, right? We haven't figured out how to help everyone do that. But there's a shared burden in, in knowing that God has given you the gift and you are responsible for it as well. I know uh, just this week, the search team uh, who's searching for our next staff team member was meeting, and one of the, the conversations that happened was um, we really need to figure out how we help people use their gifts for the kingdom. Um, on that, would you pray for them, for that team? And would you pray for the person that God is calling to Christ's community church? We can't neglect our gift. Francis Chan, um, there's, a, there's a video, you can probably go find it. Um, you can Google that, it's on YouTube, right? I'm talking about all those things. But he, he had the opportunity to speak to Facebook, uh, and, and not like a Facebook Live video, like the people of Facebook, their staff. And he said something that was uh, just incredible and, and really powerful. They asked him the question. He, he started a movement of churches um, in San Francisco, 
and they're, they're a family of small churches, and, and they're, they're just making a huge impact on the city. And so they ask him, um, why? Why, why? Why did you do that? Like, why is this working? What's going on? And he says, well, first you've got to understand my story. He said, God, um, God, I felt God calling me to plant a church, and so I planted this church out of my living room, and the next thing I knew, there were 5,000 people coming to my church. He said, we weren't in my living room anymore, but there were 5,000 people in my church. And he said, um, I started getting convicted as I read Scripture. He said, I started realizing there's 5,000 people, and they're sitting there, and, and he said, most of them aren't using their gifts. They're just, they're just there. He said, never mind the command to love one another, right? He's like, I'm not, <laughs> this is really funny. He's Francis Chan. I can't imitate him. But he's like, love one another. I'm not even sure our church likes one another, <laughs> right? We can, you know, if we're like really honest, we can admit that. Like, there's some people that sit on this side and there's some people that sit on that side, right? <laughs> he said, I, I was just wrestling with this idea. Like, man, we are not stewarding the gifts that God has given the people well. He said, that's why what we're doing works is because we're, we're trying to get the most out of everyone's gift because that's what God has given them to impact the kingdom. And if they're not using it, we're in trouble. We have to learn our gifts. We have to use our gifts. I love the example of Jeff and Mary because one of the ways that we learn our gifts is by being together in community. Sometimes even our husband and wife pointing out to each other how we're gifted, what God has made us really good at. And it's good to talk about those things. You know, that is just one of the many factors as to why the pastor elders at Christ Community uh, are leading us towards planting churches. Because we want to see people changed by Jesus, right? We want to continue to hear the stories of how people realize that, that they are free in Christ. We want to hear people find new hope in Christ. But we want to see people changed by Jesus planting churches that change communities. Because when that happens, people engage their gifts. People, people are forced to realize like, how it is that God has made them to reach people. It means no one can neglect their gift. No one can hide their gift in the closet or in the row next to the back. No offense if you're sitting in the row next to the back. All right? You may be using your gift. See, we can't afford to wait until someone asks us to use the gift that God has given us. We can't afford to wait. God is telling you not to neglect the gift that God has given to you. In that light, I want to take just a moment to celebrate with, with Midland. This is, their, this is their last Sunday gathering with us here. Next week, we'll all love Shelbyville, and then they've got two weeks of getting ready. August 6th is uh, on Sunday night. Um, all of us are invited to a preview of their gathering over there at 1900 Midland. And, um, and then August 13th, it's the real deal. Um, they'll, they'll be a church uh, reaching the community over there. And uh, what I love to see is that group of people, that launch team of people who stood up here saying yes and not even really knowing what they were saying yes to, figuring out their gifts and using it to serve the community and the neighborhood of Midland. And so um, I just want to, I want to ask the Midland team to stand. Uh, maybe you don't know who those people are. Maybe you do and you don't realize, but I want some faces with the people that we're going to be praying for over the next couple of weeks. So that's your cue. 
There's a couple in the back here. They're spread out a little bit everywhere. All right. Now here, don't sit down yet. Here's my next question. Anybody want to join them? Wrestle with that. I hope you did wrestle with that, right? Because it's not the the last time that you're going to be asked to go outside to join Jesus in the mission. And even if you can't stand up right now, you may need to stand up and go later, right? Midland, we're proud of you guys, and uh, we're going to be praying for you, and we're going with you um, in spirit and also in service. So thank you all. You can sit down. The band is going to come up, all right? The band is going to come up. Christ Community is a church of action. We love to go outside. We love to serve. We love to make a difference. We love to to see the fruit of serving. But at the end of all that serving is a deep, deep, deep trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And if that's not there, then we are wasting our time. Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17, there's a father. And this father has a child who has seizures. Seizures are so violent, the, the scripture says, that at times they would throw the child into fire or into water. And like, like it put the child in danger. As a parent, I can't, I can't even begin to fathom what it would be like knowing that at any moment my child could be in the utmost of danger. And the disciples, they, they try to heal the child and they're unable to. Father brings the child to Jesus, and Jesus is almost upset. He heals the child, and, and, and the disciples are like, why couldn't we do that? Why couldn't we do that? He says, because you were trying to check the box, right? You were just trying to take a next step. You were trying to, to serve and make their life better, but you had no faith. You had no faith. And then he says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Today's context, it might be like, if you have faith like a chia seed. (laughs) So we got some ladies up in here that should have lots of faith because they're drinking down those chia seeds, right? Maybe not. A little bit of faith. A little bit of faith is far more powerful than all of the efforts that we can put forth. It makes more difference than all the projects we'll do next week for Love Shelbyville Day. It makes more difference than every effort we'll make to make ourselves a better Christian. Just a little bit of faith will move mountains. So here's the thing. We have to ask ourselves, are we burnt out? 
Are we burnt? Are our consciences seared towards the church, towards ministry, towards people? And if they are, maybe it's because we've trusted far more in ourselves and in our abilities than in the power of God to move mountains in us. We're going to respond to the gospel today like we do every week. But when we do that, we need to know that the the next step today could simply be Jesus moving a mountain in you and you saying, you know what, I'm trusting you. Give me faith that is greater than my sin. My prayer is that as we encounter the gospel today, as we invite the Holy Spirit to, to speak truth into our lives, is that he would move mountains in us. Because those are the mountains that will move and allow God to work in our community and in our lives and in all of the things that we want to see changed by the gospel. We have to believe, have faith. Today, if you are an immersed believer, you're walking with him, you've been baptized and and identified with Christ, then we invite you to come forward and, and take part in the Lord's Supper. Do it because you trust him. Don't do it to pay for your sins. Do it because you trust that they've already been paid for. Maybe today you realize for the first time that all the things that have happened in your life are really just your efforts and you've never really trusted God. It's really easy to get caught in that, right? And if that's you, we want to pray with you. We want to to connect with you while you connect with God. And there's a team of people that would love to be praying with you. Respond. Allow God to move mountains in you by trusting him a little bit more than when you walked in the door today. Today, maybe you walked in having no desire to follow Jesus. And now you realize that maybe you can trust him more than you thought. Or maybe today you're at the complete opposite end of the spectrum. You've been walking with Jesus for a long time, but you realize you've been doing it under your own power and not by the power of the Spirit living in you. Repent. Give him your heart today. Trust him. Let's pray.